This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. Well, we're continuing our sermon series through the book of Nehemiah. Last week, Pastor Bill introduced this uh, book, preaching through first chapter. Uh, it's all about how God has called this man, Nehemiah, to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem that were torn down in the Babylonian invasion. And so now we're on chapter 2, and he's inspecting the walls, and he's calling God's people to really lay out a vision for their work. So Nehemiah says this in chapter 2, verse 11. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. Now he's going to go around and do an inspection of the walls around Jerusalem. By night I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire 150 years earlier in the Babylonian invasion. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and so we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. And so they began this good work. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for gathering us here uh, and having the privilege of hearing your word and responding to your word. I pray, Lord God, that you would unify us as a family of believers and you would set us on a mission that nothing could stop. I pray, Lord God, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight and don't let anything I'm doing get in the way of the work of your spirit. In your name we pray, amen. I played football in college. Uh, well, I didn't really play much. I sat the bench most of the time, but, but I was on the team and I felt like I was part of the team because of our captain, Carlos Lyer. See, before every game, he would gather the defense and he would say something like, don't be the hero. Don't be the hero. Just play your role. And if you do your role, if everyone on their team does their part, we'll win the game. And that made sense to me as a a defensive end. All I had to focus on was making sure I contained the outside. I, I just had to do my part, play my role. Now, even if you're not into football, I think this applies to the kingdom of God and the Christian church. Um, Jesus is the hero. 
He's the one that can do everything. He's the one that this is all about. It's all about Jesus and what he's done and what he's doing. But the good news is he's given every single one of us something to do, a part to play, a place on the team. The problem is all of us, myself included, Instead of being on the field, participating in the kingdom of God, so often we become spiritual spectators. And you know what spectators do, right? When their team's losing, they leave. They cut out of town. They they give up. They don't have that buy-in that the team has, the people on the field. And so here's what my encouragement would be. I want all of us to move closer and closer to participating in the work of the church, to see that we all have a place on the team. And so here's the question I want us to answer today. What is your role in God's kingdom? What's your role on the team? And to answer that question, uh, we're going to go back to the book of Nehemiah. But, but Nehemiah is one of those books that, that probably most of us, even if we grew up in, in Christian homes and did Bible history stories, Nehemiah is not one of the more familiar stories. He lived about 444 B.C., but to understand what happened in 440 B.C., I want to take you back a thousand years earlier and kind of walk through the history of Israel. So in 1440 B.C., Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt. So the the Israelites were in Egyptian slavery for 400 years, and and Moses leads them out through the Red Sea into the wilderness where he meets with God up on Mount Sinai, gets the, the stone tablets, the Ten Commandments, but he also gets the blueprints for the tabernacle, the place of worship, where where heaven and earth were supposed to meet, where God wanted to meet with his people. And he showed that by coming down on this this cloud of fire and resting on the tabernacle. After that, the the Israelites entered into the promised land. And for the next 400 years, uh, they had these tribal leaders called judges, and they did a pretty shoddy job. They They were pretty bad leaders. And so the people said, we want a king like the rest of the world has. And so in 1000 BC, they started a monarchy. And their first king was King Saul. And he was a pretty shoddy king also. Um, He was a tall man and he really thought highly of himself. He's full of himself. He did everything for show. uh, And really, we saw a rise and a fall with King Saul. The second king in Israel, do you remember this, was King David. And we just had a nine-week sermon series on King David. And we've talked about his rise and fall and, and many of his concerns and issues. But David's son was King Solomon. Solomon sounds a lot like the Hebrew word shalom, which means peace. And for the most part, he had a peaceful kingdom. And because he had a peaceful kingdom and he had so much money and wealth, um, he was able to be used by God. The most significant thing he did was build the temple. So it was like the tabernacle that Moses built, that tent structure, but now it was a, a set structure, the temple. Am I getting, you guys still with me? Did I lose anybody yet? All right. The, the, the temple was this beautiful structure and it was the place where heaven and earth were supposed to meet again, where God was supposed to meet with his people. But Solomon also had a fall. Um, the way he expanded his kingdom were all these treaties, which meant he would marry into these families to expand his kingdom. And he had 700 wives. 
and 300 additional women. He had 1,000 women in his life. And every, with every woman also came all sorts of idolatrous practices and all sorts of horrible practices that really destroyed the kingdom of Israel. And so in discipline, God had the kingdom divided in two after King Solomon. And so you had the northern tribes of Israel in the north, and then you had one small tribe of Judah and Jerusalem in the south. Now, the northern tribes, they, they, they continued in idolatrous practices. They actually even um, started worshiping golden calves. That thing that they were doing back in the wilderness that didn't work out so well the first time, they tried it again, didn't work out again, and they led the, north, uh, the, the people into all, these, all this idolatry. So bad that God had the Assyrians in 722 B.C. come in and take them off in exile they were replaced by the Samaritans. And if you ever heard anything about Samaritans in the Bible, this is how that started. Still with me? All right. Now all you have left is the southern tribe of Judah and Jerusalem. And you would think that, and this is where we get the name the Jews from, from this tribe of Judah. And you would think that they would have learned from the practices of the people in the north, but they fell in the same kind of idolatry, same kind of horrible practices. And so the next world leader, the next big empire that took over the world after the Assyrians were the Babylonians. And the Babylonians took them off into exile for 70 years. And when the Babylonians came in, they destroyed Solomon's temple. And that was devastating for the people because now they were wondering, where is God going to meet with us? We have no temple. God, God, heaven and earth have been broken apart. There's no way God can meet with his people anymore. Well, in the year five, what, 536, 538 BC, the Persians took over the world. And King Cyrus... He, the way he led was he tried to encourage people, fund different trips and fund different missions. He actually funded the Jews going back to Jerusalem in 538 BC to rebuild Solomon's temple. And it was really great at first. They built this beautiful temple. Now heaven and earth were meeting again. Uh, they had this place to meet with God, but they never finished the work. The, the walls that were around Jerusalem were still charred with fire. They were still broken down. It's kind of like if you've ever seen a really beautiful house that has a shoddy uh, fence around it. That's kind of what it was like in Jerusalem. This really beautiful temple and this shoddy wall around it made it vulnerable. And that's where our, our text picks up. In 444 BC, basically 100 years after Cyrus funded the rebuilding of the temple, Nehemiah gets this burden on his heart. He says, God is calling me to finish the work. I'm going to finish the walls and rebuild them. And that's where Pastor Bill began our sermon series last week. Uh, he, he, he had this burden to go. And so Nehemiah, he goes at night to go do his own investigation. He goes around looking at the walls and he is just so upset. He's so troubled because God's people never finished the work. This looks like just shoddy work. There's still charred fire marks on the walls from a, the invasion 150 years earlier. And he is just so upset. Now, why does this upset him? Because he, you know, when you don't take care of your house, it says something about your heart, right? And, and when they were not taking care of the walls around Jerusalem, it said something about their devotion. It said something about their allegiance. It said something about what they really cared about. And the prophet Haggai actually said, you know what? You guys got these great paneled houses that you live in at home. 
but the house of the Lord remains in ruins. You don't care about this work. You're not taking ownership of, of the work. And so Nehemiah does this inspection, and then finally he gathers all the leaders, and in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17, he says this. You see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. He says, we have a problem. This isn't just my problem. This isn't somebody else's problem. We have a problem. We've come back to Jerusalem. We have the money from King Cyrus. We have the time, and we have not finished the work. We have not finished the work of rebuilding these walls. We look like a mess. So we have a big problem here. And then he went on to say this. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. So we have a problem. We have screwed this up. We, we, we've neglected the walls around Jerusalem. We're leaving this open to attack. We're showing we really don't care about God. We really don't care about Jesus. We don't care about any of this. Um, so we need to get to work. We need to rebuild these walls. So Nehemiah's preaching. He's, he's getting on them. And usually when you preach at somebody, usually they kind of say, it's not my fault and I'm not doing it. Why are you pointing the finger at me? But instead, they responded like this. It says in verse 18, they replied, let us start rebuilding so they began this good work. Let's, let's, let's get after it. Let's do it. Let's rebuild these walls. Let's do the work that we were supposed to do a hundred years ago that we haven't actually done. Now, what in the world does this say to us? How does this apply to us? What is our temple today? What are the walls around our temple today? Well, do you think God is telling us through his scriptures that we should go to Jerusalem and rebuild uh, the temple? Should we do that? Well, what's going on in Jerusalem now? Well, in the year 70 AD, about 40 years after Jesus, the Romans came in and destroyed the temple, Solomon's temple again. And now, right now, what sits on top of that is, is a Muslim mosque, the Dome of the Rock. And so there's no way we're called to go over there today and rebuild this temple. That's not our calling. In fact, God has told us that that's not really where he wants to meet with us anyways. I don't know if you're familiar with this story, but 10 days after Jesus ascended into heaven, when he rose from the dead and then ascended to heaven, 10 days after that, there was this event called Pentecost. And on Pentecost, that same glory of the Lord, that fire that came down on the tabernacle to say, this is where I'm meeting with my people in the tabernacle. And that same fire that later on uh, came down on Solomon's temple that said, this is where I'm going to meet with, the, with, with God's people. That fire descended on the, the, the temple. That fire again, it separated. And do you know where it rested? Not on a building, but on people, on the apostles. And what God was showing in a very beautiful way was he's saying, you guys are the new temple. The world is going to meet me through you. You're the new temple. And so you need to build up your faith. You need to build up the walls of your faith. You need to be strong so that you can be God's temple in the world. And the Apostle Peter emphasized that in, in his first letter in chapter 2. The Apostle Peter says this, 
as you come to him, the living stone, that's Jesus Christ. When you come to Jesus, you realize that Jesus was rejected by humans, but chosen by God, and he was precious to him. You also are like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering the spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So when the church of God is unified, we are, and are building each other up, we are God's temple. And when we're strong, when the walls of our faith are strong and built up, we can actually be a strong witness to the world and have an impact on the world. So how are we doing, church? How are we doing as God's temple? I think in the words of Nehemiah, what Nehemiah said when he investigated the walls, I think they they still stand today. Do you see the trouble that we are in? Do you see the trouble that we're in as a church? Last week, Pastor Bill was talking about Generation Z, which is uh, young people in their 20s and under. And he said that they're the first post-Christian generation in our world, where the majority of, of, of young people in that generation know nothing about the Bible and really have no interest. And they learned a lot of that from us. Uh, for the last few decades, really since the 1990s, the Christian church across denominations and across the United States has been declining. Since the 1990s were kind of our high point in really having an impact on the United States. It's growing in other parts of the world, parts like Asia and Africa. I mean, they, they, everything really, and mostly everything in the Southern Hemisphere is growing like crazy. But here in the West, it's declining. And we see evidence of that as we look at, at churches, especially in the Milwaukee area. There's churches one after another that are closing in the Milwaukee area. And maybe we think, well, maybe victory's different. We're growing, right? Well, so much of our growth is transfer growth. After those churches are declining and shrinking and dying, they're coming here. We're not having that big of an an impact on our communities and on our world. Do you see the kind of trouble that we are in, church? The church lies in ruins. Its walls are broken down. So what can we do about it? We can learn something, I think, from the next chapter of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 3. I didn't read it because, as one commentator put it, it might be the least interesting section of the whole Bible. What it says in Nehemiah chapter 3, you can read it on your own. It goes something like this. And so Nehemiah assigned family so-and-so to such and such section of the wall, and they did their work. And then next to them was family so-and-so. I can't even pronounce most of the names. Family so-and-so had such and such section of the wall and they got to work. And then next to them, and it goes on for the whole chapter, family so-and-so had such and such section of the wall and they got to work. And guess what happened? So this, this wall was broken down 150 years earlier by the Babylonian captivity. They still had char marks on the walls, still in ruins. And then although they had the money from King Cyrus, for 100 years, nothing happened. So for 100 years, they did nothing. 
But when they put energy into it and everybody did their part, nobody was the hero, they did that. When each family took the section in front of them, they rebuilt this wall in 52 days. In 52 days, they rebuilt the wall around Jerusalem. Now, what can we learn from that, church? I think we can learn what, what, what Captain Carlos Lyre was trying to teach our football team. You don't need to be the hero. Just do your part. Jesus is the hero of the church. He's the one that can do everything. He's the one that empowers the church. He gives blessing to the church. He gives forgiveness to the church. He gives us all the tools of the church. We, we work with the spirit of the energy of the Holy Spirit. So he's the hero. But So don't be the hero. Don't think it's all up to you. Don't think you... You can do it on your own, but just do your part. So what does that look like? Well, I apologize for all the football analogies. Stick with me one more time. What we do here on Sunday morning is like practice. What we do this one hour a week, this is practice. This is not the game. The greeting, the, the, the welcoming, the victory cafe, the music, all of this, the, the gathering of scripture, this is practice. And, and, and there was a time in Victory's history where we all took a part in that practice. I don't know how much you know about the history of Victory. When I was back at seminary 12 years ago and Pastor Ben Kurth was starting this church, they started in the home that we're living in now, but then it moved to Polonia Soccer Field on that, that little community center, basically a bar. And every week, that small group of people who started this church, everybody had to do something. Mop up the vomit in the morning, and they had to clean up the place. They had to turn a bar into a church week after week, and it was all hands on deck. Everybody had to do a part. And the same thing happened when they moved to the movie theater. They had to pull uh, basically all the music, all the stuff, all the media, everything. They had to pull it out of storage every week. Everybody had to help, and they had to turn a movie theater into a church every week. And now that we're here, maybe we think, well, we got the building. Maybe we don't need to all participate. I was talking to Pastor Bill about how many people do we actually need every week to kind of make this function the way it's supposed to as a church. He says, you know, we could use anywhere from 25 to 50 volunteers every week to do worship the way that we, that we want to. Between the media center, the Victory Cafe, the Victory Kids Ministry, if we wanted to have both services, the greeters, the ushers, the music team, all of that, we could really use everybody all hands on deck. And I think it would be, just be so wonderful if we kind of rediscovered some of that, that energy that we had as a church when this church started, this ownership that this is my church and I want to participate, I want to help out, I want to do something. So if that's who you are, go to votl.life forward slash serve and we all can participate. We all have a part of the team. But again, this is just practice. This is not your main mission. Victory is not your mission. Victory is where we get together and we have a practice. Your main mission is what you do that other 167 hours of the week. That's where we as living stones in God's church, as part of the body of Christ, the temple of Christ, that's where we interact with the rest of the world, and we can have a real impact. So how do you figure out what your mission is? How do you figure out what your section of the wall is, what your family is assigned to do? Not to be the hero, not to take care of somebody else's wall, but take care of your section of the wall. What do you do? Well, Nehemiah, he started with a burden. 
He had this burden that it just was not right that the walls were still torn down. He had a burden. He had some talent and passion and leadership, and he was called to lead people to rebuild the wall, and they did it in 52 days. That was his burden and his passion and his calling. And that's where you should start. What is your burden? What are you saying? This is just not right in the world. This is not right. What's your burden? And then what are you uniquely qualified to do? Your passions and your skills. Um, so on your way in, hopefully you got these. Uh, the ushers are, are passed these out. The, a little kind of mission statement. If you didn't get one, you can grab one on the way out. And I think this could be a helpful way for you to figure out what is your personal mission statement. So you, you put down your burden first. Let's say you're, you're in construction or um, so you say, you know, in a world of shoddy craftsmanship, I do really good work, right? I'm gonna, and then your action steps. Every day I'm going to tell the truth. I'm going to finish the job. I'm going to get up early. I'm going to be honest. Whatever it is, your corner of the kingdom to show your faith by how you live. If you're a teacher in a world of, of, of teachers who, who don't know their students or are not involved in the life of their students, I get to know my students. I care for them. So every day I'm going to pray for my action steps. Every day I'm going to pray for my students. Every day I'm going to, to think about them. Every day I'm going to find out what they uniquely need to excel. Whatever that is, figure out your burden and then how God has uniquely qualified you to, to, to do that. So here's mine. I'm actually thinking about changing it now, but this is the one I've been looking at for a few years. In a world of superficial spirituality, you know, people just kind of skimming over the surface, nominally Christian, in a world of superficial spirituality, I help others take a, uh, others deepen their walk with Jesus. And then every day I try to say, all right, here's my daily action steps. Every day I'm going to seek God's will, enjoy people by being present to their needs, think clearly, read widely. I think something more that's burdening me is, is, is those who are abused and those who are neglected and those who are marginalized in society. So I think I might need to change that. That's a new burden that I have and wanting to meet those needs as well. But what's your burden? What are the burdens on your heart? What are your unique qualifications? Here's what I would love. I would love for you to take the rest of the afternoon, maybe the rest of the week, maybe the rest of the month, and, and write down your burden, write down your mission statement, write down your daily action st statements, and then maybe... Snap a picture of that and send it to me. Then I'll know what to pray about, how I can encourage you, how I can lead you to take those steps. You see, we're in a problem. <laughs> Do you see the trouble that we are in as a Christian church? Not having an impact on our world, not making any real difference in our communities. And so I would encourage us to see that Jesus is the hero. He is the foundation. He is the answer. He is what we need. He's the one who forgives us, accepts us, picks us back up. He's the one who motivates us. It's all about Jesus and his glory. He's the captain. He's everything. And yet he's given you a part to play, a section on that wall to rebuild, a part on the team. How do you want to say it? And so what is your burden? What is your calling? What are the steps you can take? Don't be the hero, but do your part. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, 
I pray that, that you would encourage us, that you would inspire us, that you would reveal to us the burden that is on our heart, that's uniquely ours. Show us the section of our wall to rebuild. And then give us the, the energy and the time and the practice, even here at Victory, to accomplish our, our part of your kingdom. Lord God, we cannot do this on our own. We need your, your spirit. We need your help. We need your encouragement. We need your energy. We need your guidance. So we ask all this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.